0: In the first six months of starting this company, I got more no's in those 120 days than I had gotten in my entire life leading up to that. There's this thing about resilience. It requires you to be deliberate about blocking out the negativity and blocking out the no's. It's not just an important skill in entrepreneurship. In life in general, it is helpful to be able to quiet the noise. Not everybody's going to love you or your ideas, and that's fine, but you can't carry that with you.
1: I'm Carly Zakin, and I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with the skin.
2: We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this
1: show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest
2: leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than 9 to 5. All right, let's get into it. Today,
1: our guest is Colleen Cutcliffe. She is the co-founder and CEO of Pendulum Therapeutics, a San Francisco startup that's looking to make medical probiotics widely available. Colleen has over 15 years of experience leading and managing biology teams in academia, pharmaceuticals, and biotech. Prior to starting Pendulum, she was the senior manager of biology at Pacific Biosciences and a scientist at Elan Pharmaceuticals. Colleen received her PhD in biochem and molecular biology from Johns Hopkins. Colleen, welcome to 9 to 5-ish.
0: Thanks so much for having me. We're
1: very excited. And before we get into the convo, we love to warm up with some lightning ground questions to get to know you better. Are you ready? I don't know. Let's do it.
2: <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's, it's tough. All right, Danielle, I'll let you lead it off. Okay. What was the first job you got paid for? The first job I got
0: paid for was in high school. I worked at UPS and I grew up in Atlanta and my job was every month these credit card receipts would come in, the credit card bill would come in and the executives had to attach all of their receipts to the credit card statement. And if there was any that were missing, my job was to call these executives and oh try to get them to hand over the
1: receipts. It was done
2: That's really stressful. That's a horrible first job.
1: It was crazy. It was a very stressful colleague. Yes, it was a
0: terrible job. And I think I've been forever scarred around accounting since then.
2: I don't blame you. (laughs) Can you list the periodic table? No, I can't. What's your favorite (laughs) element? Oh, my favorite
0: element. It's probably everybody's favorite element, which is oxygen. What is your
1: go-to karaoke song?
0: Oh, man. Well, I don't really do karaoke because I usually like my friends and don't want to subject them to my singing, but I have definitely done Sweet Caroline a few times.
1: When was the last time that you negotiated for yourself? I don't know, 10 minutes
2: ago. <laughs> it's, it's, it's happening all the time. What is the most used app on your phone?
0: Life 360 because I am tracking my children. <laughs>
1: What is the last text message you sent?
0: The last text message I sent was actually to Halle Berry and it said, OMG, with regards to the strike that's happening right now.
1: <laughs> um, okay, that was a very good answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. Okay. <laughs> I don't text Halle that often.
0: so you know. It has been a totally new world since she invested in our company. Congratulations. And which
2: round of funding was that?
0: She actually came in, not during a financing round, but sort of on her own. She'd been a customer of our product for over a year. She has diabetes, and so it was really helping her with her health. And then she wanted to meet me and get to know what the company was all about and why is this product so different? And so we got to know each other. We really hit it off. And at some point she said she came up and she visited here in San Francisco and she said, look, I love the product. I think it is amazing. It's going to help so many people's lives, but we need to work on the brand. And she said, I know how to build a brand. Let me help you. And that was the beginning of her investing
2: and taking on a pretty active role in the company.
1: That's awesome.
2: Well, that is a great way to segment in to talking about the company. So you... Kind of have two very different roles when you think about your career areas of focus. You have a scientific background and now you're an entrepreneur. What are the similarities? Like when you think about your science background, it seems to someone with absolutely no science knowledge that it's very much a mix of like you get this degree and then you do this and you work at this type of lab and then you do something that helps people, you develop something. And entrepreneurship seems to have no set path. Am I right, wrong? Like, how do you compare the two?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. In a lot of ways, being able to perform in science requires a lot of education to kind of learn what's been done so that you can then start to create. But I think that's sort of where the two become very similar And I would say in entrepreneurship and starting this company, there is a huge learning curve too. You just have a very condensed amount of time to learn all of it. Whereas for schooling, you can have years and years to kind of become a master at a particular part of science. So, you know, in science, you spend all these years getting educated, learning what's been done before you, and then your jumping off point is, okay, now we look at the world around us and we try to understand where do we want to make an impact and how do we use everything we learned to make that impact? And entrepreneurship is very similar. Most times you start with, I have there's a gap and there's a thing I'm trying to solve, but then there is a ton of learning. And so I think the common traits between the two are people who just love learning new things all the time, and also people who are really interested in doing impactful things. Your job doesn't have to be your whole life, but it's the place where you've decided you really want to make an impact in this world. And so you're driven and a lot of your stamina through hard times comes from that. And so it's really about the learning and the perseverance.
1: Having pursued both paths as scientist and entrepreneur, I'm curious, was your family surprised by either of those paths?
0: Yeah, I think they were surprised by both of those. Uh, In fact, when I decided to go to graduate school, both my parents were like, wow, we never thought that you would do this or even get into a grad school. So it was definitely a a surprise because we had to declare our major in sophomore year of college. And I had no idea what I wanted to major in. I was at Wellesley. It's a liberal arts college. And so I called home and I said, I have to declare a major on Friday and I don't know what I want to major in. And my dad said, well, what subject do you like the most? And I was taking a pretty wide range of classes. I had a history class. I was taking a Bible class, math, biology, And I said, well, I like them all, or I don't like them all, however you want to frame it. And then he said, well, which one is the easiest for you? And I said, it was biology. To a large degree, it might have been in retrospect because I was at a liberal arts college. And so that's why that class was easier for me. And that's how I ended up choosing my major. And then in my senior year, I actually didn't know what I wanted to do when I was graduating from college. A lot of my friends were going to New York to go into investment banking and management consulting. And that didn't really appeal to me. And I had a professor call me into her office and ask me, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I said, I don't know. I think I'm going to go live at home. And she said, well, have you ever considered graduate school? And I said, not at all. And so she gave me, she literally gave me brochures for the graduate schools that I ended up applying to. One of them was Johns Hopkins. And I remember it was October when we had the conversation and all of the, like I had to take a test in December was the deadline for all the applications to be due. And so it ended up being this crazy flurry of getting recommendation letters, taking... It must have been the GRE and then applying to these graduate programs. And it really was her who led me down that path. And that's how I ended up actually getting into science.
1: What I actually really love about your story, and I want you to kind of validate this, but just in researching your story, I should say, is, you know, sometimes we've had people on this show who are like so intentional about their career and they're like, I knew I was going to do step A and B. It's going to lead me all the way to Z. It seems like you almost had these moments of people being like, have you thought about this? And it completely changes the road that you go on. And so before we kind of dive into the details of it, I'm just really curious, are you somebody who likes to get a lot of advice before you make a decision? Like just what is your sort of instinct and how you make ultimately what becomes really big life decisions?
0: Yeah, I'm, I've am i definitely never been one of those people who always knew what I wanted to do and thinks about the end game and then how do I, you know, step back from there. And so therefore I know what my next step is. I'm sort of a Taoist, which means that I kind of look at the landscape around me and I'm able to change with it. And so in a lot of ways, almost everything that I've done and things that have happened have been mostly opportunistic. So I think by not having A set vision on exactly where I want to land, but being really good at surveying the landscape and seeing where there's opportunity, I've always been able to think about what's the next step. And in this particular environment, for me in it, where should I go next? And I also think that that's been really important for entrepreneurship, because in a lot of ways, you don't know what's going to happen. You can't predict. There are too many moving parts. And so being really good at just knowing where am I now and what's the current state of affairs, and therefore what's the next step, is actually a really Important skill to have. And I would say if you're too almost planned about it, I
2: think it makes for a much harder life. I wish I could not be planned about it. I feel like it's an interesting philosophy because mine is much more like you visualize and then you become the vision. And it sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. So there's something for me to learn in there. Let's talk about the PhD track for you. What made you? decide to go down that road?
0: Well, it really was this professor suggesting it and I didn't really have any better ideas. So I ended up going, but I will say this. So in the first year of grad school at Johns Hopkins, everybody takes five classes. These are the five core classes and you have to get an A or B in them in order to pass and continue on in the PhD program. And I was in the biochemistry and molecular biology program. And I got a C in biochemistry, the class. And it's sort of an automatic, you get kicked out. And so I got a C and I was like, all right, this is terrible. And actually it was getting that C and realizing I'm going to get kicked out of this program that made me realize, actually, I really want to be here. It's almost like when you're breaking up with someone, that's when you realize, oh no, I really like you. And so it really felt like that. And so what I did was I went to meet with the Dean and I said, I know it's sort of an automatic, I get kicked out of the program. And by the way, there were two other people in my class that had also gotten C's and they were like, had already like packed their bags.
2: So everyone knows what you
0: get. Everyone knows that's the rule. Like if you get a C, you're oh. out. And so you know that. And so I went and I met with her and I said, you know, I was twenty two. I said, I I've, I've been just kind of partying and having a good time and I wasn't focused on schoolwork, but if you give me a second chance, I really know that I want to be here and I know that I'm gonna do something really impactful in science. And you could be that person who gave me the second chance that enabled me to go do something really meaningful with this degree. And she let me stay. And I think actually I might still be the only person that kind of talked their way into staying in the program after getting a C. And I think what I learned about myself through that was, A, this was important to me. And I you know floating through life is one thing, but when something means something to you, you have to work for it. But the second thing that I learned about myself is that I'm not a bad negotiator. I think the key to it is making the other person the hero. A lot of times when we're trying to negotiate, we think about ourselves. What do I want? What do I need? What's going to help me? What I did and what I've learned is super meaningful in negotiations is to think about what is this going to do for the other person? Make them the hero. What's this story going to mean for them? And for her, what it was going to mean for her was that she was the one who realized this person deserved a second chance and enabled me to go do something meaningful. And I think that's an important
2: kind of negotiating tool that I even use now to this day. Colleen, let's talk about the microbiome. Why, out of all the things, the microbiome?
0: Yeah, I got into the microbiome because, first of all, it's a super interesting new science. So I started this company about 10 years ago with two co-founders, and people were just starting to understand that even though there's all these probiotics and yogurts that have been on the shelves for a long time, they're all premised in kind of the same two primary ingredients. And so there are thousands and thousands of bacteria that live in your gut that play a really important role in your health. And so there was this big scientific and health opportunity to really explore the microbiome and how it can really have an impact in health. But then probably I would say, if I'm being honest, the real reason why I started the company centered around my first daughter. So, she was born almost two months prematurely. She was four and a half pounds when she was born. I got to hold her in my hands for a couple of seconds. And then she spent the first month of her life in intensive care. And she was hooked up to all these machines and monitors. She received multiple doses of antibiotics, not because she had an infection, but because preemies are so fragile that they just give them antibiotics so that they don't get an infection. And we finally left the hospital. I had a, you know, theoretically a healthy child. And As she started to get older, I noticed that there were things about her that were different from the rest of our family, namely around food sensitivities. Around that exact time that I was sort of observing these things about her, this paper came out and it showed, they looked at 12,000 kids and it showed that babies who were on lots of antibiotics, as they got older, they were more prone to metabolic issues like obesity and type 2 diabetes. That paper was actually recently repeated by the Mayo Clinic and they showed that kids who are on lots of antibiotics are more prone not just to obesity and diabetes but also to allergies, asthma, ADHD, celiac disease and basically what's happening is when they're very young you're completely killing all the bacteria in their microbiome and they can't seem to recover from it and so even though they're living the same life as the rest of us they're eating the foods the rest of us are eating their body isn't able to process it well and so i looked at my kid and i said oh my gosh my kid is on a path to potentially all of these issues as she gets older And I have an opportunity to create products that could help millions of people, including my own daughter. And that became the no-brainer to at least try.
1: I read about a meeting that you had had with a pharmaceutical company's leadership around pitching an idea in Microbiome. Tell me how that meeting went.
0: Oh, man. I don't know which one uh, you're referring to in particular, (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, actually, I kind of love that you don't remember this because so I'll tell you what we researched. And then I want to actually talk about the fact that you don't remember this. So what we researched is that you had had this meeting with the leadership of a pharmaceutical company, and they decided that that was not an area that you were going to pursue. What I love about the fact that that doesn't even stand out for you is that I feel like this is the moment where somebody's like, and welcome to being an entrepreneur, which is that you have had so many pivots and people telling you no, that you don't even just, you don't even remember it. And I actually, I want to pause on that because I love that you're actually like, that's like a Tuesday. (laughs) Like I don't remember. (laughs) Yes, And talk to us just a little bit about the fact that like your life was full of a lot of people saying no or change this. Yeah,
0: I would say in the first six months of starting this company, I got more no's in those 120 days than I had gotten in my entire life leading up to that. And there's this thing about resilience, and I think that it requires you to be deliberate about blocking out the negativity and blocking out the no's and really focusing on the positives. Now, I'm not saying be totally delusional if there are no positives and no one is giving you any signal that you have a good idea, You know, don't ignore that either, but focus on the positive things, focus on the path that could be the path forward And really, to be able to kind of quiet all the other noise. And I think meditation is one way in which people can train their brains to do that. But I think it's a really important skill. And I would say it's not just an important skill in entrepreneurship. You do get a lot of no's there. And so maybe you're forced to either develop that skill or kind of crawl into bed in the fetal position every night. But I think that in life in general, It is helpful to be able to quiet the noise. Not everybody's going to love you or your ideas, and that's fine, but you can't carry that with you. I think all of us have had this experience where you're in some kind of scenario, and then the next morning you wake up or you wake up in the middle of the night and you think, you know what I should have said? And all of us do that, and I think that's normal. But then to be able to let it go and not, you know, next week to still wake up in the middle of the night and think, you know what I also could have said? And so I think that's a practice. It's a practice effect to learn how to kind of shed those things and don't let them weigh you down.
1: Now I'm listening to you and I'm like, I should become a Taoist, but <laughs> you know, Danielle and I have talked a lot about on the show, like we also had our, you know, hundreds of no's and I'll say we had two things that kind of helped us get through it. One is we had each other. We also had, you know, a community that was showing us that like they loved the skim. So it was indication we should keep going. It, it's one thing to look back on it and, you know, talk about resilience and I totally agree with you. But in the moment at that time, like, how did you not break?
0: Well, Everybody has little breakdowns. The question is whether you stand up after that and dust off your knees and keep going. And I think that it's good to have those releases. You got to let that out. Otherwise, you really are carrying it with you. You have to have the release. And so I think it's important to, you know, close the door and cry or to do an intense workout to get all that energy out or whatever the case is, take up boxing. I think that that's important. So I would never say I have never broken or that I have never rethought or said, maybe this isn't right. For sure. I've had those moments, but they've all been transient and, I just think that when you have those signals, like you said, you had each other and you had people who are saying, oh, my gosh, I love the content you're creating or you've really helped me. I think when you have those little signals, that tells you that there's still something there. There's something there worth fighting for. And I had my kid uh, and that was worth fighting for. And we had other people like the Mayo Clinic were our first investors. Um, I had other Professors and academics, and even if the investors were all telling me no, there are a bunch of people deeply embedded in health and science saying this is the path forward, and there is a big opportunity here. It just takes the right people to make it happen, and so we we had those positive things to help keep us going. And I had two co-founders, so similar to you, I didn't go try to do this alone. I actually don't know how anybody starts a company by themselves.
1: We always say that. I completely agree. Yeah, I have no idea how people do that alone.
2: How do you think about Given you guys are a science based company, as an entrepreneur, having the business side and the the science side, you know, needing to to both be on point. And what I mean by that is as an entrepreneur, when you're starting something, you're like, you know, I believe in this idea so much, I'm gonna do everything I possibly can to make this successful. And at the same time, you've said about your journey, like if the science isn't there. That's it. And you're also getting investors to buy in. You're getting employees to come work for you. How do you as a leader project, I believe in this so much, but also if it doesn't work, hey, like we're all going to pack it up.
0: Well, I just do what you just said. I think, it's yeah. an, I, I think transparency is really important. People aren't dummies. I mean, I've been the lowest person on the totem pole in a company, and I also didn't feel like I was a dummy there. It's not like you don't have to have an MBA or be a CPA to understand certain things about financials or certain things about a business. And I think that the way that we've always operated the way I've always operated is to just be really candid and transparent about what are we doing here? What's at stake? And what is going to make us pack up our bags and go home? The company has always been founded in trying to help people through this new science. And so that's the mission. It's very simple. We're going to help people through microbiome science. So then it becomes also very simple that if you can't do that, you're done. And so I think that In a lot of ways, we attract people who are excited about being part of something bigger than themselves. They're excited about the moonshot concept of it all. But we do attract, I think, the kind of people who want to be part of something big in health. They want to be part of the next health movement. And likewise, we probably turn off people who are like, that seems like it's likely to fail. And I don't want to be a part of something that's likely to fail. And we just accept that. But I do think that for me, having real clarity on what is going to make something work and when are we going to call it is important because if you hang on to every little thing and it's really not working, it's kind of miserable for everybody. And so, again, this kind of gets back to the being able to let go and not being totally tied to something and letting it tether you to a vision that maybe isn't exactly the right vision.
1: Every entrepreneur or leader trying to make changes in an industry is going to face their version of archaic thinking in that industry. I want to share actually a personal experience I've had with a doctor because I can only imagine that as a taste of what you have experienced. And I will preface this with like, you have built an incredibly successful groundbreaking company. I have something called SIBO or SIBO, depending on how you pronounce it, which just basically stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Super sexy. And it basically means that like I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up the science, but like my gut microbiome is is messed up. And so it sometimes will like cause me discomfort. I went to go find a gastroenterologist. I found a younger person. I was like, okay, more of a peer. I told him I had this. I told him like about you know some research I had done about microbiome and probiotics and and kind of more of your world. And there's some person who's like a young peer, rolled his eyes and was like, all of that stuff is just bullshit. You should go on an antibiotic. And there are some, for what I have, there are actually like a normal course of antibiotics that is very regularly prescribed. They didn't work for me. So this was like another antibiotic. And I was like, that feels wrong. And so I didn't take it. I went to somebody who specializes more in in probiotics and microbiome, and they were like, that is somebody who really doesn't get it. So glad you didn't take that antibiotic. I share this story because I think what it represents, I'm assuming, is a lot of probably the archaic thinking that you come up against in your world. And so how do you fight against that? Well,
0: I think It's important to note that the medical profession and doctors in general, what they represent is stability, and an incredible amount of data and time with that data before they make recommendations. And this is part of like why people have a deep trust in doctors is because they're not going to kind of take the latest and greatest thing and throw it at you. And antibiotics are a great example. They've been around for a very long time. They have had efficacy and there's different kinds. And so why not keep with that kind of traditional path? And so I think understanding kind of where they're coming from helps you to understand that you as an innovative product and something that has only a few years behind it and under its belt, you will never win that kind of doctor over. I mean, it's going to be 30 years before that doctor says, hey, you know what, microbiome science is kind of interesting and there's data behind it because they have to see decades of data. And I can do all the things today that I want to, but I can't create time. I can't create 30 years worth of data. I don't even go after those kinds of doctors because we'll never convince them. And that's kind of a little bit of a waste of their time and mine. But what we do is we try to fund and we try to get behind these clinical trials that will help create the data so that one day in the future, they will get behind this health movement. But also what it does is it really focuses you in on certain kinds of healthcare professionals that are thinking about the microbiome. And they have been looking at decades of data from a different perspective. And there's a really interesting thing happening in health right now, which is that integrative and functional medicine doctors used to be, and maybe even still now, some might say that kind of the fringe doctors like, oh, they're not really doctors. They kind of think about natural things and they're combining Eastern and Western medicine. They're going to tell you about herbs. And I think that used to be very fringe. But the very interesting thing that's happening right now is they are becoming integrated into much more mainstream things. So for example, the Mayo Clinic has a functional medicine department that didn't used to exist before. And it's literally just in the last five years that they decided There's enough evidence behind this and there's enough stuff that's working for people that we better get in on it. And another point is that pharmaceutical companies make huge investments in marketing to doctors. And so doctors hear a lot about new pharmaceutical drugs coming out. And consumer companies tend to not spend a lot of money marketing to doctors. And so we've also invested in marketing to doctors that really understand the microbiome and helping them to educate and giving them the tools to be able to educate people within their clinics. And so this is how movement starts. I always say this, like every meeting, the goal is to be introduced to two more people.
1: I love that you use that for, in this case, because we always say that like just for general networking, but I've never thought about it from a marketing perspective. And and that's great.
0: Yeah, that's how you get kind of the expansion. And so that's how we thought about the medical industry. You can't ignore the medical industry, but you can kind of be thoughtful about starting where there's traction and and helping them to help themselves.
1: (laughs) One of the things that, I want to wrap our conversation on is around women's health. Because a lot of what we're talking about with inflammation or a lot of like the you know, GI symptoms, women in particular tend to have more of these. We also know that research in women in the medical field has been beyond negligent and women weren't even included in research until about 30 years ago. Do you have hope Like, do you see the change happening now in women being, not even recognized, but being paid the right attention to in this medical research?
0: I think there's still work to be done, but I think that it starts with women kind of advocating for ourselves. So we have health conditions and medical conditions that we care about. And how do we get behind the research around those things? I think breast cancer is a great example of a success story where We sort of decided and and, and I wouldn't say just women, the men alongside those women decided that this was something that we didn't have to live with. And so how can we create, you know, massive awareness and knowledge and then fund the work that has made huge advancements in in breast cancer? And so how do we even like have it? integrated into part of our annual medical care to, to know when we might start to have lumps. How do we care for ourselves? And so I think that's a great example of how it can work when we all decide collectively that this is important. And so I think that it's getting there, but there's work to be done. You know, that's kind of the first step, like this is a problem. And then trying to get behind research organizations that are helping to create more knowledge in the area. But I think there's still work to be done,
2: but I think it's getting better. It's always getting better. Colleen, last question. Who is someone else we should have on this show?
1: And maybe if you wanted to introduce us to somebody that rhymes with Sally Ferry, that would be fine. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
0: Hallie Berry has been coming an amazing partner for us. And she is kind of starting to get into what she calls her second act, which is investing in things that are important to her and using her brand to create awareness around things like this. So hopefully everybody gets a chance to hear her experience with Pendulum. Add us to the group text. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. It's become crazy. I, we text like weekly, and that was this surreal. And I'll tell you this is—I'll tell you a funny story, which is that one of the big initiatives she's had with me since we first started working together is around our packaging. We're just like in a regular old bottle, like everybody else. And she said to me, Colleen, the innovation on the inside of the bottle doesn't match the innovation on the outside of the bottle. It just looks like everything else. And we need to give people the feeling of, you know, something innovative is inside this package. She said to me, I shared the product with Mark Wahlberg. They were filming together and he said, oh, this packaging isn't sexy at all. And she brought that back to me and I said, this is crazy. I'm getting feedback from Halle Berry that Mark Wahlberg thinks the packaging isn't sexy.
1: (laughs) Oh my God, I can't. That's amazing. It's a whole new world. So we're trying to get sexier. Whole new world.
2: All <laughs> right. Well, you got the right people helping you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have nothing to add that, that Yeah, nothing. <laughs> Colleen, congratulations on Pendulum. We look forward to following you and the company. And thank you so much for being on 9to5ish. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise.